Welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal. Along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect the songs, albums, and bands of the music we are most passionate about, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. Welcome, everyone, to the Big 3-0, episode 30 of Debating Metal. This week, it's Kings of Thrash, Slayer, and South of Heaven versus Seasons in the Abyss. Along with our debate, Kenneth has more rusty metal, and I've got another online pick of the week for you. We're also picking the best of the best with another Big 4, with Big 4 songs by the most demonic of the Big 4, Slayer. Last week, we picked Motorhead songs, so be sure to go to our Instagram at DebatingMetal and leave us a comment about your favorite Motorhead songs. But before we begin, let's review episode 29. Last week, we dissected the two classic Motorhead albums, Overkill and Ace of Spades. To find out which one we thought was better, you can download the episode or listen to us on all the major podcast platforms such as Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Or better yet, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe and you'll get our newest episode on your computer or mobile device every Friday. And as always, rate us or leave a review. We also want to read your opinions on these and any of our topics. So if you agree with us or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email at debatingmetal at gmail.com or message us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. Now it's time for Rusty Metal. (laughs) Kenneth, what's your pick this week? <laughs> All right. This week, my rusty pick of the week this week is Ace Frehley's second solo album, and it's Ace Frehley Frehley's Comet. The album came out in 1987 on Atlantic, well, on Megaforce Records, distributed by Atlantic Records, and it was produced by Eddie Kramer of Jimi Hendrix and Kiss fame. Ace Frehley at the, in, in that, at that time period was basically down and out. I mean, in 1982. He left Kiss. I actually probably left Kiss in early '81, but he did Kiss a favor by helping him out with the promo stuff for uh, Creatures of the Night. So he left Kiss in early '82, you know, and basically wanted to put together his own solo band. Um, he worked on this album. It took this long because he was trying to get his life straight. Uh, he was basically a freaking drug and alcohol mess, and so he got his his act together, hooked up with a couple of good musicians. And released Freely's Comet as a, an Ace Freely solo album, which eventually the band turned into Freely's Comet, uh, and it became an actual band as opposed to a solo band or solo album. Released two albums as Freely's Comet, and then Ace went back to being solo again after that. But this is a really cool album. It's got a song called "Into the Night," which is a cover song, and he went back to the well one more time and picked another Russ Ballard song. But it's a killer version. I love what he does there. And then he's got the song called Rock Soldiers, which is kind of, is it's his story about him driving down the Bronx River Parkway in the wrong lane, heading in against traffic. And if anyone out there who knows New York City, the Bronx River Parkway is basically a, a long and zigzagging highway. And that is extremely dangerous. And he was driving in his DeLorean. Now, that's a fame. Yeah. So he was interesting story. <laughs> yeah. Against traffic, it's a stainless steel car. So he said he was bouncing off of cars left and right. 
you know, so it caused a whole mess of trouble. And then, you know, gets off the exit, parks the car, and just walks away like nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ace Freely was a mess, but he got his life back together, started Freely's comment, has had his ups and downs as far as his, his uh, substance abuse, but he has been clean, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say for 15 years now. Something like that, or maybe more. I can't remember exactly what he said, it's, but he's been it's pretty It's been clean. a while. I yeah. mean, I remember, I remember him talking about being sober for a while back in around 2009, 2010. So you, you got to be right around there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So that is my rusty metal pick of the week. All right. Well, that's, that's a pretty good one. Uh, I mean, Ace is, is d- definitely not metal per se, but, I mean, he's one of the, the influencers of, of hard rock. And a lot of metal guitarists, so yeah, I completely agree. Okay. All right, so for my online pick of the week, I've got a YouTuber and a Twitch streamer that uh, goes by the identity of Toxic Eternity. His name is Jack Flagler. The guy plays a lot of, kind of similar to another guy I picked a couple weeks ago, uh, but this guy plays a lot of uh, video game music, but mixes it up to be metal versions of those songs and one thing i really like about his twitch stream is he actually goes over different aspects of music like mastering and uh you know the actual recording mixing that kind of stuff so his twitch stream is growing it's not quite as big as his youtube following but it's definitely something i've enjoyed watching and and i think you would too oh cool i'm going to definitely check that out all right, so this week's main topic is Slayer, South of Heaven versus Seasons in the Abyss. And both albums are albums that came out after Rain and Blood and before the year 2000. And I say it that way because there's a very specific time period for Slayer. Rain and Blood was basically Slayer's exposure on the national stage, if you if you will, it was it was kind of like a major label debut. American wasn't, or actually they weren't even on American. Def Jam had just released the Beastie Boys, and they were really big, and, and they got distribution through CBS, I think it was, or Sony, and that gave them a ton of exposure. So Slayer was one of the first metal bands or rock bands signed to Def Jam, or one of the only ones. So they it broke them. So then. South of Heaven and Seasons of the Abyss were the next two albums to come out. And the reason I mentioned before the year 2000 is because a lot of things changed for Slayer a couple years after Seasons in the Abyss. So there's that period there that we're going to talk about Slayer. This is also the end, you know, the Seasons of the Abyss is the end of the classic era of Slayer. So we have these two albums that were basically the, I don't know, what do you want to call that? the definitive the defining era for slayer yeah the kind of the bookend on that that first chapter of the band exactly that way yeah i mean one thing i want to mention here is that you know they they had already kind of had some problems with dave lombardo Uh, he left the band already just briefly and rejoined but they came together in in a kind of a different way with with south of heaven it was one of the first albums that they you know really talked about and planned before releasing the album which they hadn't quite done before there's a definite change here from from what they what they were doing with uh rain and blood uh i think because rain and blood was such a masterpiece of the genre i mean anyone that that 
has listened to the album, I mean, it, it's incredible. It, oh, yeah. it truly is. It, and there was amazing. just no way you were going to top Rain and Blood. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's a difficult thing to do when, you know, you come out. It's almost, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to top something that, that basically is, is the defining moment of, of the genre, I guess you could say, and even for the band. Mm-hmm. And the band, obviously, the band continued from, you know, 1986 is when that album came out, and they went all the way, to, I think 2016 is when they ended, or 2017. Mm-hmm. They, they finally put it to bed. So it, you know, forty years, you know, that's a, or thirty years. It's a or that's a long time, <laughs> you know. So they they. It, had, it was last year that they finally called it last quits. year twenty nine twenty nineteen. Yeah, was it? I thought it was mm-hmm. uh, okay. The of- official end was twenty nineteen. Oh, okay, the official end. So that's the, the last show was played in twenty nineteen. So it's still it's still a long time when you think about it. I mean, nineteen years in two thousand, it's a bunch of years. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, n- nostalgia aside, okay, raining blood is a defining moment, and so now they have to follow that up. And you know, what do you do for a second act? What do you do for an encore when you put something out like that? It's hard to top. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Hanneman mentioned that they they really were quite aware that they couldn't top Rain and Blood. So what they did was they kind of went in a different direction while still maintaining, you know, the the vibe of what Slayer was putting out. So what they what they kind of said is that, like we had to slow things down and that's very evident on South of Heaven. Yeah. And to be honest, there's there's a pretty substantial difference. There's a lot more singing on this album than any other Slayer album. Uh, because it had uh, to, because he was, yeah. he was, the, the, the songs were slower, so there had yeah, to Tom be. Yeah, Tom changed his his vocal style for sure. So, so going over, now that you bring up Tom Araya, and 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 in listening to these two albums, one thing I noticed is, first of all, as as much as Tom was the perfect frontman for that band, mm-hmm. but at the same time. Tom Mariah is he's definitely what what you would call a vocalist. He's not a singer. <laughs> he's not he's not a crooner, but he's a vocalist. He's the one who's basically getting the point across of the words of the song. And it was very evident on on one song. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but it, it, his his range is very minimal. He doesn't have a lot of fluctuation in his singing or, you know, his vocals. But it's to me, it's just perfect for what that band is, and what yeah, they, I, and what I they can't need. imagine anybody else in that that position. I mean, it, it, yeah, he's perfect for for Slayer. I mean, it's just so much attitude in what they're presenting, and I can't imagine really anything else but kind of that yellish yelling and growling. Right, you know, just listening to how he 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 does his phrasings and stuff like that, and. When when we mentioned before about this being the bookend, Seasons in the Abyss, basically when when they came out with that album, uh, that was the end of the Lombardo era, I guess if you would say, and then they were going into the ball, the Paul Bostoff era, but they had a break in between because they they were started to want to record their next album after that, which was Divine Intervention, but they had some issues as far as getting it all together, and so they. It, it, they had some controversy with the song lyrics and topics 
which I don't know why, because they've had the same song lyrics and topics for the last you know ten years at that point. They um, so they, I think it was mostly because it was just it was in the nineties, you know, and things things are changing. I mean, we've talked about the nineties before, and it just it, it, one thing can be fine today, and then in three weeks it's offensive. So it just depends on what people's values are at the time that the, the music comes out. True, and in, in, in essence, music distribution was also changing at that point. And so, you know, Best Buy and Walmart and Target were becoming more of an influence on the record buying, not the record buying public, but on the, the record selling business. Mm-hmm. And so their topics were obviously, you know, off, off limits for Walmart. Um, so what ended up happening was they put out a decade of aggression, the live album, after... Seasons of the Abyss. The point being is that the band significantly changed after that, and I say significantly changed because they began to be a little bit more open to other things and, and changed some some styles of things in within the songwriting. Obviously, Slayer's always been Slayer, and they've never compromised. But I think they were trying to do a couple of different things, and so this, you know, South of Heaven and Seasons of the Abyss are the last. Of, of the true Slayer and talking about South of Heaven I mean at least until the Christ Illusion I mean Christ Illusion was, was much more in, in vain with what we're getting here mm-hmm. uh, because I mean one it's it's a, the return of Dave Lombardo and then it's you know visually they, they went for similar you know imagery to what they did before so yeah I mean it's, it's this so- is this is the end of that classic era, at, at least for a while. Right. So, so the whole Tom Mariah thing. What I was getting at with the Tom Mariah thing was that you know he's so he's so unique and distinct, but yet he knew his limitations, and he wasn't someone who was going to sit there and try to sing you know fancy phrasing and, and and going out of his range. So, South of Heaven, he did a lot more quote unquote singing on that because the songs were slowed down. I mean. You can't go any faster than they did with Rain and Blood, so they had to go 180 and slow it down. And mm-hmm. first song off the off the bat, South of Heaven, the, the title track, is a perfect example of that. Starts off, I don't, you can't say it's slow. It's not like a ballad slow, but it was it, it was very methodically paced, and it kept speeding up and speeding up, and then it would bring it back down, and speed it up a little bit, and bring it back down. But it was it was perfect, in in the sense. Yeah, this was Slayer bringing it back the other way around. Yeah, I, I I would say the beginning at least is very slow. That that intro is is you know it's very like you said methodically paced, mm-hmm. uh, almost like a stalking serial killer. Yes, exactly. You know? This is different than anything from before. I mean, it it's it really is. It's it's the drums are pushed more to the front. Um, I love the production on, on on the drums for this for this album. Yeah, for I I completely agree. This is like to me when I heard this the first time. I remember, you know, I listened to Rain and Blood for a long time, and then I went to this album. And when it when it starts, it's almost like the continuation, but in a, in a different way. It's like it was it was telling a story, you know, raining blood. And then now we've just completely descended into the depths of hell. I mean, it's it is dark and 
scary mm-hmm. the 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 uh, riff on this song so i just i absolutely love the intro to this one yeah it's it's awesome and and it it's you like you said with dave lombardo's drumming it was right it was so in your face and mm-hmm. that that's the one thing i think that, that really stands out and how he you know as a song builds you can i mean even at the beginning in the slow part he puts in a, a drum fill here and there that you can tell oh well, it's dave and there's some speed to it you know but he 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 held it back and then he built it up and built it up along with the the songs and then all of a sudden there's that groove when they hit that that verse and they just start grooving cuz that first verse is the intro verse and but when it, once again to the main verse of the song that the song grooves really good and then Dave goes into his double bass with the chorus and stuff like that it, it kicks in really nice What's funny is he's he's kind of stated before that he wasn't a, a big fan of this this album and and uh, he he even said the phrase that like there was fire on all the albums and then it started dimming on this one but I I really like what he did with the drums on this album so I I know we're we're often the most critical of our own work mm-hmm. and I think especially Kerry King and and Dave Lombardo have kind of s- spoken ill of this album but. As far as as what I'm seeing from the beginning, uh, I I was enjoying it a lot. Yeah, it it, it was definitely it, it started off well. That's for sure. I mm-hmm. like what you know. So then we go into Silent Scream, and now this this is a manic track. Yes. I mean, it is violent and but repetitive, but in a good way. Yeah, I mean, it keeps the it keeps the 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 groove going but it is a manic groove it's it's not like one of these i don't know it's kind of weird it's it's not one of these super headbanging kind of things but it's got i don't know it's a really strange groove because it is a manic song like you say so it's it's kind of odd in that it's not one of your typical, you know, snap your finger and bop your head kind of songs, but it's not one of these things where your hair is going all over the place super fast. It's like right mm-hmm. in between. <laughs> but but it, it, at the same time, it's like, it's hard to pinpoint it. In the, you picked the perfect word, manic. Well, it's, it's like kind of like having a panic attack. And if you really think about the lyrics of the song, it's it makes it kind of obvious why it's so kind of... Um, unnerving a little bit is that you know it's a song about abortion Mm -hmm. and that's a heavy topic and it's a heavy song so it's just it's one of those that i think unnerving and manic are the best words to describe it definitely all right so live undead or i'm sorry live undead live undead is the album (laughs) (laughs) uh live undead feels kind of like a leftover from rain and blood uh, it has a slow start, but it kind of goes into that same riffing style that's on Rain and Blood. Yeah, that, that's that's where you start to say, oh, yeah, this is the same band from that album a couple years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, and it, there's not a lot to say. I mean, it, there's it's left, it, it's not necessarily left over, but it, it sounds like it could be. And it, it keeps the album going, that's for sure. So it, it's it built up the pace in, in South of Heaven. It kept it, you know, it, it sped it up in Silent Scream. It keeps the pace going, but it's still not at the extreme level that Rain and Blood was. But it's it's close. 
No, I mean, when I say it's a leftover, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like it's as strong as the songs that are on Rain and Blood. It feels like the same kind of vibe, the same kind of, um, you know, riffing. But if it was a leftover, which, you know, I'm not saying it actually is, but like, say, for instance, it was, then it's the, it's leftover because it didn't it wasn't as good as the other songs on the album. Right. All right. So Behind the Crooked Cross, to me, this is very different. Tom sings a lot on this track, and to me, it almost feels like, like when I was thinking about it, it didn't feel as much like a Slayer track as it did, like, some kind of hybrid between, like, Testament and Metallica. Okay. What what I think about when I think about the song is that this is the song that basically got the album into its groove. This is the pace at which the whole album kind of goes from from here on in. And it's not a bad groove. It's It's, it's steady. It, so th- this is the first song where everything starts to get real steady. You know, it, it kind of picked up, and then it went down to this is you know like sort of like when you're driving a car and you you, you first take off and you you know you rev it up, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you find that groove. If they found the groove, started with behind the crooked cross and went through the rest of the album. I like the song, but like you said, yeah, definitely, Tom is is got a lot of words in this song, <laughs> and he's just he is he's. Um, singing if for that matter you know he's yeah it's 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 completely different than anything before it's it's not the the harsh growling as much as it's he's just singing mm-hmm. um and that kind of conti- continues on uh with mandatory suicide to me that song has <laughs> and and go back and listen to it if you if you don't know what i'm talking about but there is this feeling that i always got thinking about this song that there is a a similarity to seek and destroy on here that has always hit me and it's like it's this brief moment in the song that i just always think of seek and destroy when i hear this song you know now that you mention that it's weird because i I listened to this album on the way to work this morning and Mm -hmm. i didn't get that vibe when i heard this song but at the same time there was something that reminded me of that era, that early Slayer, Metallica, Megadeth, you know, the early Big Four mm-hmm. era. Something reminded me of that when you like the very early years, like eighty two, eighty three. Right, exactly. You know that whole that the the baby years, <laughs> the baby <laughs> the baby Big Four. <laughs> so yeah, and again, it's it's one of those songs that it it it, it comes through and it, it's steady, and it's. In your face, but it's pretty steady. I like that. That's one of the. It's one of my. You know, behind the crooked cross, mandatory suicide is definitely one of my favorite songs on the album. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of more in vain with what uh, you know the other songs are on side A. Mm-hmm. Behind the crooked cross is the definitely the the most out there of the songs on the on the first side, but then we go into to Ghosts of War. It, it, if if you listen to the beginning of the song, that, do you, did you recognize that that's the end of Chemical Warfare? No, I didn't. Yeah, it's the, the, the beginning of the song sounds different. It actually has like a completely different tone to it. Well, oh, that's I know what you're th- saying. Yes, 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 yes. Um, but I didn't notice it was Chemical Warfare because it was I wasn't paying attention to what was going on. I could tell that there was something that the sound of it was was lower, thinner. Because it sounded like it was a, a recording of something else being played. I did yep. not, so it's Chemical Warfare that they're playing? Yep. 
Oh, okay, cool. I'll check it out tomorrow. So this kind of continues the story of that that concept. I mean, it's a pretty ripping song up until about halfway through when it it changes the pace entirely back to the pace that we've been hearing through the first half of the album, where it's a, a bit slower. It's kind of slogging through or slogging through. And the only thing that I really really like about this song is that there's a, this very dissonant sounding solo that sounds awesome in there. You know, the the other thing I wanted to talk about when it came to Slayer is the the constant back and forth with you know the left and right the, in the production. You know, I I would I don't know which one's on the left because I can't access my CDs, so <laughs> I can't mm-hmm. read the uh, unless I go hunting on the internet. I can't read the the, the liner notes, uh, which I normally would typically like to do, um, and I will probably do that. Like if if I ever get my CDs up, I can pull them all out and just read them while I'm doing the show. So I don't know who's on the left and who's on the right, but they do split the guitars and and the solos. And it, it's so noticeable, obviously, when one goes to the other and one solo starts. And I don't know... I, I forgot which one it was. There was a point in time, I think it was on Rain and Blood, where, where there was an interview with Carrie or Jeff, or somebody mentioned the fact that one of the two, and I can't remember which one, you, may, you might be able to remind me, is the more accomplished guitar player. Are you talking about Jeff? Between Jeff and Kerry, I don't know which one was the more accomplished guitar player. Um, I would say Jeff. Okay. I mean, he, he was really one of the biggest factors of the band in, in a lot of ways. And that's why you saw such a change when he passed away. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he was one of the primary songwriters with Tom and he had a vibe with Carrie that, that I think is kind of the reason why there's maybe a rift in the band now. Um, since they split up, you, you've seen more and more, like, especially online, just seeing there's kind of this rift between Carrie and, and Tom, I think Jeff was that that binding factor between the two of them. You know, it's like you can all be friends, but there's there's always like you have a bigger connection with you know one member of your your group of friends more than the others, and and sometimes that friend has a good connection with the other guy, but you are all, all aren't all the same page exactly. And I think I think Jeff was the you know the the glue that held everything together. Yeah, I I can see that. I just I knew there was. One of the two, and you know, this is this is my where Slayer kind of fell off the map for me. I guess not not in terms of this album or anything like that. But I was a really big fan of Rain and Blood, and then South of Heaven came out. Um, it was weird because there was a year in between. South, of, um, excuse me, Rain and Blood came out when I lived in New York. I moved, and then I went to Florida, and that's when South of Heaven came out. The year after. Florida. Now, at that time, I wasn't working, so I wasn't making a lot of money. Um, I was I was basically going to school full time in college, and in high school when I when I was in high school and I and I found Rain and Blood. Even though I wasn't, I, I had a job at that point, so I was able to have money and so that. When I moved to Florida, I didn't have a job right away, so there was I wasn't going out. To, to stores and checking out the record stores and, and all that stuff so there was a little bit of a disconnect even though I, I, I knew when South of Heaven came out so at that point it's kind of like when Slayer kind of dropped off my radar on a regular basis 
mm-hmm. and, I, and I really didn't get too deep into all the stuff that was going on. I, I, I bought all the albums because I have them, but I didn't really like dive into them. I, I kind of like, af- especially after Seasons in the Abyss, I, I, Slayer totally fell off the map for me. So I do remember that there was interviews and stuff like that where I think it was Jeff who was the more accomplished guitar player and Kerry was more of the guy who just kind of ripped everything as fast as he could and played as hard as he could and, and he wasn't very uh, distinguishable and very stylistic when it came to his guitar playing, you know. I mean, I I think a part of why people associate Kerry more with, with Slayer is he's he's always been kind of the, the face of the band. He's He's the most outspoken um he's done the most interviews and jeff really refused to do any kind of press at all i mean he just that just wasn't him so carrie kind of always took that aspect of it and he's he's the recognizable face yeah um he's still a good guitarist and i think i think there is probably not a huge gap between the two of them as far as playing ability but as far as songwriting um, and and Tom's kind of hinted at this, especially when after Jeff passed away, that you know he he was more of a factor in the songwriting of the last album than than Carrie was. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I a lot of fans kind of view Jeff as as more of the uh, you know the the guitarist, the the musician, etc., and Carrie more of the the spokesperson i guess right the reason why i was doing that is because i know you can tell when you hear the solos one's more accomplished than the other one's one's got like you, you could sense the notes in one guitar mm-hmm. solo over the other one which seems like just this this blast of you know a million notes coming out at you at one time type of thing there's, mm-hmm. there's one is more definitively a guitar player as opposed to a no, someone who's banging on the guitar, I guess you could say. But I mean, there's nothing not, not to say that Kerry's not accomplished because obviously he's been in the business for this, you know, for this long, and he's continued to to do this business, and he's a great riffer. I mean, that's the one thing I, I personally, to me, he would be more of the rhythm guitar player mm-hmm. um, than than say a lead guitar player, and that that may be true because I think that's where Gary Holt comes in because Gary Holt is such an a, an accomplished guitar player. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I forgot to mention this while we were talking about the song South of Heaven, but I actually watched a video recently on um, why the, the riff changed over the years in live performances. This guy watched, or this guy did a video where he actually analyzed and broke down the two versions of the way that Carrie played the intro over the years. And it's funny how he Carrie always kind of complains about he doesn't like happy sounding songs or bright sounding songs, but actually the version that they recorded uh, with with the album South of Heaven versus the way he started playing the intro later on, um, the, the intro actually became brighter over the years, <laughs> and that's kind of that's kind of funny to me is that he he didn't even realize I think that he was changing the way he played it because you there's actually videos where he's he plays the intro. Um, you know, in in a uh, like a live setting with a with a small uh, group of people. Mm-hmm. You know, how, hey, you know, how do you, how did you play the intro? And he plays it and shows people, and and it's like that doesn't sound the same. You know, <laughs> so I just think that's kind of funny that 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 happened. Yeah, that that is uh, weird. So anyway, my point was, 
you know, with with Jeff and, and Carrie, you know, the, the, especially with Ghost of War, I think we were talking about that song. There's such a distinguishable difference in the guitar and the guitar soloing that, you know, it's noticeable. That's one thing I noticed listening to the album on the way to work this morning was it, you know, you could hear one guitar, guitar solo on the left, one guitar solo on the right, and one was always a little more better than the other. <laughs> a little less, I, gotcha. I guess, a little, a little less manic and a little bit more defined, put it that way. Mm, I got you. All right, so getting back to the, the order of tracks, um, we got the next song, Read Between the Lies. To me, this, again, sounds kind of like a holdover from the Rain and Blood, you know, recordings. It's not, but it sounds like it could have fit right in the album. Mm-hmm. What I noticed, I guess, towards this, the second half of, the, of the, the the last side, so you're talking about, like, Read Between the Lies, Clean the Soul, Dissident Aggressor, and Spill the Blood, the last four songs, is that, to me, nothing really, well, except for Dissident Aggressor, Nothing from for the three original songs that, that end the album kind of stand out to me. You know, I think they, they put all their best songs up in the front the front half of the album, and these were the songs that were kind of like, all right, they're Slayer songs, but they're you know they're not our best songs. And there's, so there's nothing memorable to me about those songs. But at the same time, when I was listening to them, I was like, you know what, these are not bad songs, but they're nothing memorable to me. I don't I don't no. you know if, I don't know if you had that same feeling or not. I mean, I have that feeling on Cleanse the Soul. You know, read between the lines. I mean, I already kind of said what my opinion was. Mm-hmm. Um, Cleanse the Soul, it's not bad. It's not great. It's just there. Right. You know? Exactly. And Dissident Aggressor, it's like a bonus track. I mean, it it does not fit here. It's a great cover. Right. But it, do, it doesn't fit here. It's, now, it's I really completely weird. disagree on Spill the Blood. Okay. I think Spill the Blood is probably the most interesting track on the album. I love the riff. Um, it's experimental for Slayer in both the songwriting and the vocals. What I like is that in the vocals, there's there's a uh, kind of a dissident um, backing vocal there that's really interesting. And one thing I really like about it is it, to me, it reminds me of a lot of like um, fantasy novels that I would read as a kid that were more like, you know, kinds of kind of like Dungeons and Dragons y feel. You know, like something like out of Lord of the Rings where it's it's really those moments that, that are dark and uh kind of scary, like you're an adventurer going on a quest. So I mean I love Spill the Blood. I think it's a fantastic track. Okay, fair enough. I was gonna talk about this in aggressor in that and that's the example of where where Tom knew his limitations because he's basically covering a Jewish priest song. He's covering Rob Halford. Okay. That's, and that's a tough shoes to fill. Exactly. So if you, if when you listen to the song, you can tell, well, I'm not going to try and be Rob Halford. That's, that's what Tom is saying. And he came in at a particular range, stuck to that range, even though in many cases, Rob goes out of the range, you know, out of his, or, he goes out of the normal range to, to stretch it out a little bit. Um, Tom didn't. And it works. For whatever reason, it works on, on the song. I love this, the, the, the drumming on the song. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, Dave stood out on the song. And to me, Dave and Tom both stood out on the song because obviously Dave stuck out the whole, the whole album. I mean, the whole production was almost, you know, centered around Dave. 
and then Tom's singing throughout the whole album was also a main feature. So that was uh, Distant Aggressor to me. It, yes, it doesn't belong, and especially if you're going to put in something that doesn't belong, that why would you put it ninth? Why not put it last? That's that's the thing that that really bothers me about it is that it, Spill the Blood fits a lot better as as you know a follow up. It's just where do you put it? You know, it should have been an EP or on or on something like that. It's just it just doesn't work for me. Right, and and the know? funny thing is, it's not like they haven't done EPs before. They've mm-hmm. done they've done two of them prior to Rain and Blood. Um, they did the EP, you know, a Haunting Chapel, and then they did the live EP. So they could have they could have done you know a covers EP. You know, not that they did a lot of covers, but there was one there, and they had already done this one song called aggressive perfector that they did like two or three different versions of by this point that was also be a b-side you know mm-hmm. throw that in there you know and you got yourself an ep or release it as a single i mean they did so around that same time if i'm not mistaken slayer had released or, or were featured on the less than zero soundtrack with the song with their version of inagata de vida which even though they denounced the song later on when, when for whatever reason they did it they released it and it was it, it caught on with fans so now you've got a second cover distant aggressor you may throw one more song out there and make an ep out of it or two more songs or, or you could release aggressive perfector that one of the three different versions that they released in, you know in that five-year span and throw in another b-side you know it, it could have easily been an ep in between south of heaven and seasons in the abyss you know, for whatever. But regardless, it ended up being on this album and it just kind of seems out of place, like you said, being ninth. It should have probably been last. Spill the Blood would have been a good way to finish out the main the main songs. And then you have mm-hmm. this aggressor. Very similar to what, what happened with Pantera and Planet Caravan. It's just a song that fell out of place. Just, you know, it's a good cover, both of them, but it just doesn't fit for me. Right. All right, so on to Seasons in the Abyss. Comes out two years later, same band, same production team. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, Rick Rubin produced, Andy Wallace mixed. I think it has cleaner production. I mean, than than South of Heaven. I mean, this is this is probably the most mature album to date for them. Yes. What I, what, well, my opinion about this album is, is that this album would be the perfect album when you combine Rain and Blood and Seasons and South of Heaven. You get Seasons in the Abyss. It is, you have the speed of Rain and Blood, but you have the the methodical pacing of South of Heaven. You know, it's, it's funny to me that people always say like this. This album is you know so much faster and and kind of on the same page as as uh rain and blood but to me i mean there's a lot of really slow tracks on this album right You're, uh, what you said is is exactly right i mean it's it's the the balance between the two mm-hmm. you know and and this has the ebbs and flows which make it a much more accessible album than the previous two where rain and blood it's a masterpiece of thrash but it's it's not going to appeal to somebody outside that side that you know is not into to thrash. Then South of Heaven is very different and probably was pretty off-putting to a lot of fans 
that that had just listened to random blood whereas this is like the balance between the two that it's it's so accessible so, south of heaven okay so if you look at <laughs> if you look at it in like terms of metallica Mm-hmm. South of Heaven is like the Black Album in terms of you went from this album in Justice for All that was just all out super progressive for Metallica and then you come back with this super groove album with, with the Black Album and then you have Rain and Blood which is about the ultimate thrash album and it's as fast as you could possibly make it and then you come back and say oh yeah we, we need to slow down we're gonna, we're gonna get our Phil Rudd groove on <laughs> and they come out with South of Heaven because every album built, Show No Mercy, Hello Waits, Haunting the Chapel EP, all that stuff built up to Rain and Blood. And that was the culmination. And then, you know, it's like, where do you go from there? Well, they had to do something different. So that's why South of Heaven sounds the way it does. But Seasons of the Abyss is when they finally figured out, this is where we belong. Right in between. We got some fast which, stuff. Which like, is funny because this is the last album that right. sounds like Exactly. That. <laughs> yeah. And then from that, from that point on, you know, with Divine Intervention and everything forward they kind of go now i don't want to say up and down in terms of speed they kind of kept the same level of speed you know they 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 really didn't do too many slow songs like like south of heaven or seasons in the abyss but they did everything much more much faster than mid pace to me like once you once you go past seasons in the abyss a lot of the albums all sound the same they i did. mean there are differences. I mean, what was the one right after Divine Intervention? Divine Intervention has probably some of the worst. What's what's the way I want to put this? Um, let me think about this for a second. I think Divine Intervention has probably some of the the worst, not mixing and mastering, but like production in general since the last two albums. Our last three albums, I think. I think they were just trying to do something a little different, and to me, it didn't. It didn't really work. It's a short album, you know. There's there's just not a lot there that I just really, really enjoyed. I mean, Undisputed, Attitude, that's a, one of their weakest albums. No, it's, um, a, it's a cover album, so. Yeah. And it, it's a cover it's album. Just, of a lot of bands that a lot of people really didn't know. Yeah, that's true. It's just there's a lot not not a lot that I really enjoy. I mean, I think God hates us all is probably my least favorite Slayer album. Christ Illusion was when I got back into them. You know, I I liked that. I liked World Painted Blood. I enjoyed Repentless, but prior to that, I think I just there was that you know that gap there that I just couldn't really get behind. So, but that's when you're gonna say. That's when they lost me. And did they get you back? That's a future episode topic right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so let's get back to the, the main list of tracks. I mean, uh, War Ensemble, I think this is a great start to the album. I mean, it's furiously paced. Uh, it's a totally ripping opener. It's heavy in an entirely different way than South of Heaven. And it's heavy in tone and topic. I mean, it's it's a great opening track. I think it, if if that had been the first song that people heard on South of Heaven, people would have been super excited because they would have been like, yeah, it was like it would have been a continuation of Rain and Blood. 
But now that it came out an album later, whatever fans stayed stayed with the band were excited all over again because they were like, yes, now we have Rain and Blood back type of thing. It, that's that's the kind of speed and frenetic pace that the song goes goes with. And I, I like the song a lot. That's a pretty cool song. Well, what I think is interesting is like, so both of these tracks got some some attention. I mean, both intro tracks. So, to me, I think South of Heaven is is a continuation off of Rain and Blood, but in a different way. Like I said, it's kind of like taking you deeper into the abyss. You know, where this is kind of funny. It's it's seasons in the abyss, and mm-hmm. and uh, it's War Ensemble is a is a continuation in like it's the same kind of riffing now what's interesting about this album is it is a departure in a different way it's a departure lyrically from what was seen in south of heaven and everything before this is more focused on human frailty war and murder and everything before had been kind of like fantasy demons you know the, the hell etc but this is more hell on earth mm-hmm yeah, I mean, they alluded to it with like something like uh, Angel Angel of Death, which was about Auschwitz and and the, and the Nazis, but that that was one of the few topical songs that they had. Whereas you know they typically were talking about you know Satan and devil and all that other bullshit. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, yeah, so this this album definitely starts to become more reaching for a different topic, and and kind of hitting the nail on the head with it because they they definitely expanded their horizons in terms of lyrical content oh yeah so the second track is blood red to me this is it's it's up tempo it's but it's one of the slower tracks it's a pretty memorable riff but i don't really have much more to say about it (laughs) um i had a tough time being able to, to to listen to the album I didn't get much of a chance to review it. I had heard most of it before. You know, I know most of the songs on here, but Blood Red and Spirit in Black, they don't stand out to me. So it's it's hard for me to, to really deeply comment on them. Um, I, I heard them today, but that's how, you know, that's how, I guess, generic Slayer they were. Where Expendable Youth then becomes something where I, I kind of, paid more attention to it because it was kind of more it stood out more to me well spirit and black i i agree with you i it's never been a song that really stuck out to me i know lyrically it references things from previous albums which is pretty cool i like when bands do that that you know judas priest is really known for for referencing their previous songs um but this this track never really stood out to me and expendable youth I I also am not much of a fan of it's it's a slow but persistent track it's it's definitely more lyric heavy than anything because because the riff is pretty simple and repeats yeah. um, so it's not really intricate or anything wild but but it's Tom Araya you know really f- you know focused on the lyrics and and in that aspect when you're a fan of of the way he writes songs and writes his lyrics it's 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 a really interesting song and what you know it like i said it stood out to me but then what i didn't necessarily like about the song i mean again it, it i like the song but what I, if i'm going to take anything away from it is that the chorus is kind of just 
another verse almost. It's weird. The title Expendable Youth is repeated at the beginning of the quote unquote chorus, but the chorus is not really like it doesn't change keys, it doesn't go anywhere, it just continues and he just says some he has different phrasing. But he uses the word expendable youth in at the beginning of the of the phrase. So I was like it's one of those songs where the chorus doesn't go anywhere for me and that's it didn't have a hook. But yet the rest of the song to me, like you know, the the, the main verse and the main cor- the main riff stood out enough for me to say, Oh, let me listen to this. Oh yeah. Oh nah. Oh, oh yeah. And uh you know, it's kinda like <laughs> almost like a, a an M night Shyamalan movie. <laughs> you know, you you're waiting for something to happen and it doesn't really happen. <laughs> you're not kidding there. <laughs> I could do a whole episode on just that guy. <laughs> on on M night Shyamalan? Yeah. Oh man. Anyway. <sighs> maybe maybe we'll have a spin off talking about bad movies. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> a special episode. Yeah, all right. Um, Dead skin but yeah, mask. I mean it's a, it's a lyric heavy song, and yeah. and I'm I'm down for that a lot of times. I mean I, but I but I like the mix. I mean I like when I hear a song, I want the the awesome riff as well as great lyrics. So next song is Dead Skin Mask, which if you are familiar with the the real life person that inspired Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Ed Gein. This is the definition of true life horror that Tom has decided to integrate into the, the lyrics of the of the, the album. This song is slow and evil and totally fits the subject matter. Right. Definitely. I mean, it's what else can you say about Dead Skin Mask? I mean it, it is it is a, an an in in depth look at uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre guy, Ed Gein, you know, it is, you know, uh, it's hard to really describe it. It is a very brutally honest song. <laughs> well, the guy, you know, he, he seemed like a normal guy to a lot of people. It turned out he was killing, especially women and, uh, making, you know, furniture out of, out of their body parts. I mean, this guy was truly disturbed. There, there is no true horror more. I mean, I think it's so horrific that it often becomes comical in our minds. You know, not comical like ha 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 funny, but like just unrealistic right. that somebody could be this disturbed. And so, this song kind of <laughs> defines the the low points of humanity. Yeah, I mean, and that's something that Slayer would would. Uh exploit throughout their career mm-hmm. now the next song is one i i think is one of the the most clever songs on the album it's called hollowed point or hallowed point excuse me and it's a play on the word hallowed as well as a the on the word hollow so a hollow point bullet is a bullet that's really destro- designed to destroy whatever it's hitting i mean it, it's it's designed to basically cause a funnel like a, a cone almost that there's not really recovering from and so it it's talking about the the effects of using a gun mm-hmm. there are untold repercussions to to taking that action and this is this is a, a deeper track in that way absolutely it's it's one of those topics that began to become regular formula for Slayer, where they're they're now going into 
things that are part of society that we may or may not know about, we may or may not want to hear about, we may or may not want to care about, because it's just something that we just want to say, you know what, it happens, but I don't really want to pay attention. And it's tough to listen to a lot of these things sometimes for 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 an average listener for us you know it's that's it's this music we like <laughs> well for me when i listen to a band like this i have always thought of it as kind of addressing the the dark reality that we live in i mean the music that kind of points out the the faults of man i think i think is important because oftentimes people try to think that they you know when when they listen to music that you you just want to focus on the escape from reality but sometimes it's nice to kind of focus and think about the deeper aspects of life and not all of them are pleasant i think that's why i've always liked metal is because you know yeah there's bands that all they sing about is you know women and and having a good party time and stuff like that and i love that kind of music too but there are bands that they address topics that are not always comfortable and i i like that i like being you know made to think sometimes and it's funny to say that about a band like slayer because i think a lot of people don't realize that there is a lot of depth to the lyrical content of what they're putting out absolutely the the biggest thing about slayer and their song topic choice it's not you know the the metal genre is going to have this thing. It's going to go all over the the board when it comes to what their topics are. What made Slayer unique is that they were mainstream. Regardless of what people may think, oh, no, they weren't mainstream. They didn't sell million, millions of records. No, they didn't. But they were as mainstream about this particular topic as you could possibly get. Okay? As as much as you're, Europe is scarred in that sense, that, that's, that they're so used to that. You know, especially Northern Europe, you know, in, in the Scandinavian area, that that whole black metal scene and, and everything that they sing about. I mean, that's just kind of like that's that's normal for them, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's not mainstream. It's mainstream to them, but the, it, that's their thing. But as far as across the world, across the United States, even across England, that kind of stuff is not mainstream. So Slayer brought it to the mainstream. It kind of made everybody feel uncomfortable. And that is what made Slayer so unique because they made everybody uncomfortable, yet they were still mainstream and everybody loved them. Not everybody, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, my mom was a huge fan. Yeah, I bet. She was not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next track is Skeletons of Society. It's another slow, plodding track. The backing vocals and mixing are a bit experimental here, kind of. Kind of similar to Spill the Blood from the last album, but but more so. And there are actually some similarities that I see to Creator here. So I actually like this track. It took me a little bit to kind of get into it, but I, I actually really like this track. It, again, it's the, the second half of the album I didn't get a chance to, to re-listen to, so it's, it's tough for me to comment on. So the next track uh, is Temptation. And... Lyrically, it's about kind of our interest in the occult, playing with fire. To me, I feel like this this track kind of goes nowhere in a way. It's not bad, but it, it I don't know. It just lyrically, he just kind of goes on a tangent, I guess, at, towards the end, and 
and I I just couldn't really get into it. Uh, Born of Fire track nine, it's pretty typical Thrasher, doesn't stand out. Uh, but I think where the album gets exciting again for me is the final track. Uh, again, kind of like Spill the Blood, where I feel like it's the strongest track on the second half of the album. It's, I don't think it, you know, it's not a tr- super long song. It's six minutes. But to me, it doesn't feel like six minutes. It feels like half that time. Because what's really cool about it is the pacing's fast. The solos and fills keep it interesting. I mean, Dave Dave Lombardo, I think this is one of the tracks that really stands out for him because he does really keep the pace going and, and keeps it interesting sounding. Um, there's, again, those dissonant background vocals, and it just it just has an evil, evil feel to it. I mean, I... I this is this is the highlight of the second half of the album. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's one of those things where you kind of get lost in in the. Um, I don't want to use the word monotony, but you can, you get lost in the consistency of Slayer on on side two or or the last half of the album, whichever way you want to look at it. And mm-hmm. then and then when this song comes on, you can sense there's just something different, and you can sense the the the, the fact that it's a better song than the rest. And mm-hmm. so, it, so when it stands out, especially it being the last track, you you you, it's kind of the culmination. So you, if it it definitely brings that energy to to close out the album, and it, it's a really cool song. I like Seasons in the Abyss. Yeah, I mean it's it wraps up the the album nicely. I I kind of wish I know these are all short albums, but it, you know, with every album, you kind of think, oh well, if you just took this one out here, this you know, it, it would be. A perfect album. I don't feel like that way either of these. I mean, I don't feel like they're they're flawed, but they're both great in a way, you know. Yeah, they're, they're definitely they're both flawed, but they have their they both have their high points and they both have their low points. For sure. And that's why we're debating them today. All right. So, kind of like what we did last week, I'm going to ask you. Based on what we've just talked about, which album do you feel like is the stronger of the two? Well, which one do I feel is the stronger of the two, or which one do I like more than the other? Because that's there's, that's a different answer for both. Okay, um, then I'll just rephrase it then. <laughs> well, let me let me answer the question. Do, which one do I think is stronger? Is that, is that what the question that you said? I just forgot what the hell the question was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm just going to ask the question again. <laughs> All right. So just kind of like what we did last week, which one do you like better? All right. After listening to both of them or as much as I can of, of Seasons and, and South of Heaven, my preference is to go with South of Heaven. I like the songs on South of Heaven more than I do on Seasons in the Abyss. Seasons in the Abyss have strong songs like War Ensemble, Dead Skin Mask, Seasons of the Abyss, but I think there's more to South of Heaven than there is to Seasons of the Abyss. Okay. That's my opinion. Well, I'm, I'm probably wrong. I <laughs> agree with your opinion. Oh, uh, South of Heaven is my second favorite Slayer album. Um, what I like that they did here was they experimented more, and I'm never against that. I think the the experimentation sometimes goes awry, and it's it's too far but I, I feel like a band can get stagnant and stale if they don't try, you know, expanding upon what they did. I know that they're not the biggest fans of this album, 
but I I disagree. I think it's really good. Uh, I mean, South of Heaven, Silent Scream, Spill the Blood, Ghosts of War, Behind the Crooked Cross is pretty cool. I mean, th- th- to me, there's more songs, just like what you said, that that I enjoy on this one. To me, the 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 really the one that sticks out like a sore thumb is Dissident, Dissident Aggressor, which is still a great track. So I I gotta go with South of Heaven. There you go. I I agree. I mean, South of Heaven, it, it's such a, dis- a a difference between Raining Blood to South of Heaven, but mm. there it, it it showed a level of maturity that they could do all that stuff that they did on Raining Blood and everything beforehand, but yet we can still do this and still be Slayer. You know, and that's why Seasons of the Abyss is is hailed as what it's hailed as because it, it, it combines everything into one album. Um, but I think, personally, the songs are stronger on, on South of Heaven, and that's why I, I chose that one. Yeah, I think I think it showed, like you said, a lot of maturity to say we can't match Rain and Blood, so we're going to try something different while still maintaining the Slayer format to a degree. That being said, Seasons of the Abyss, I think, is the more mature album. It shows that they did not forget what they did on any of their previous albums. They brought it all to the table. It's it's a very strong album. It's very well produced. It's It's slick. Um, which can be a good and bad thing, um, but therefore it's accessible to a wider audience. So mm-hmm. it's still a great album, no downside to that. But again, between the two of us, South of Heaven's the winner this week. There you go. All right, so that brings us to our big four Slayer songs for this week. Since you went first last week, it's my turn to go first this week. All right, so we're going to go straight to it. Number four for me. Chemical Warfare from the Haunting Chapel EP. It's one of the first Slayer songs that I kind of got into after going backwards in time because I really didn't get into the first bunch of albums. I didn't get into Hello Waits and I didn't get into Show No Mercy until I already had heard Rain and Blood and I went backwards. And Haunting Chapel to me was like a really cool uh, in-between it was better produced than the stuff off of Show No Mercy. And Hello Waits, I don't know, it was just, that cover was just kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally did not go for Hello Waits right away because of that. It was just kind of like, all right, you know, this is some really deep shit here. Do I really want to go down this rabbit hole? So I didn't. I went to, I went to Haunting the Chapel instead. <laughs> That is too funny. (laughs) All right. Number three, South of Heaven. We just spoke about it and all the reasons why. I think that's a really cool song. I love the slow build. I really love the drumming that Dave put on this record. And so the production was was excellent. I just, I I like the song. So South of Heaven. Number two, Raining Blood. Love that song. It's the bookend for... Raining Blood. It's the last song on the album. And the one thing I can sit there and say, the CD sucks where they cut off the song. And so you get part of the song, the previous song, playing when you when you go to that track. But I believe they fixed that later on. Raining Blood is, to me, is, is an amazing song. The, the speed in which they go 
up and uh, it's hard to say up and down because they they have this frenetic pace for it. Then they kind of get this groove, and then they go crazy all out to end the song. So it has has like this, the beginning, middle, and end is just you know it's fast, medium, fast, and out. But my number one song, Angel of Death, the beginning of Rain and Blood. That song to me is the ultimate Slayer song. I love that song. To this day, I know 90% of the lyrics to that. I can just recite them off the top of my head. I love that song. And I love that little breakdown towards the last quarter of the song where it's just a guitar riff and then Dave comes in. Dun, 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 dun. You know, I love that song. Golly. There you go. That's my big four. <laughs> what do you got? All right, so so our big four is pretty dang close together. Um this is not surprising because these songs are so iconic. Um, so for my number four, I've got Raining Blood. Um, it's, you know, it's basically the title track of Rain and Blood, but it's it's killer. I mean, it, it, that, that drum beat, that dun-dun-dun, is just, there's something about it that just, it puts you on edge mm-hmm. and in the right way. I just love that track. So for number three, I've got South of Heaven. You know, we talked about it earlier, that demonic killer riff. It's just awesome. Like I said, it always kind of, to me, when I think of it as the continuation of Rain and Blood, it's just that, like I said earlier, just falling into the absolute depths of hell. And it's uh, it's it's a killer track, a great way to open the album. I typically love like opening tracks that are, are more hard-hitting and, and, you know, just kind of whip you right into the album but this this hits you in a different way which is which is good i love it um number two is the lead-in to raining blood and that would be post-mortem i have always loved this track it's it's one of my favorites of theirs it's so underrated you know i think part of it is that because it's the lead-in to to raining blood it has kind of an awkward ending the riff i just love so that's where the uh, cd sucks they don't know where to cut it off yeah i think that's <laughs> that's part of the problem yeah. yeah so for number one is angel of death as well it's just such a iconic song it's such a heavy topic and it's the opener to one of the greatest thrash albums if not the greatest thrash album of all time i i can't think of a better song to to kind of identify what slayer's all about because it's got those kind of demonic elements but at the same time it's about a real world world subject so it's the culmination of all the things that make slayer who they are yeah it's pretty pretty cool you and i both we didn't have anything past the classic era on this and it that, that's that's not to say that there's anything wrong with the classic era or the new era it's just that this this particular period of time, and for me, I, I pick songs from 85, 86, and 88. You picked 86 and 88. That time period was just so special for Slayer. There's, there's really no doubt, no, no way around it. That is, that is the defining time for Slayer. Yeah, I mean, I had songs that I considered putting on the list, like Chemical Warfare and Spill the Blood and... There was a couple others, but but to be honest, like I just really, 
I, you know, I hate the idea of putting everything on one album or from one album. And there was another instance that this happened with another band, and I can't remember who that was, but I picked a lot of the tracks off of one album. I just had to be honest. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, just pick songs from different albums just to do it. These tracks are amazing, and that's why they're on the my big four. And they are, they are definitive Slayer. That's for sure. All right. Well, that's it for Debating Metal this week. Next week on episode 31, we're going to be bringing back something that we did back in episode 8. It's going to be part 2 of When Did a Band Lose You and Did They Get You Back? We'll be talking about some of our favorite bands that either departed from their usual style or just went in a different direction that we couldn't follow. It's a tough feeling when a band leaves you behind, but every once in a while, you kind of cross paths again and you're able to get back on the same page and maybe bury those bad feelings deep down and try to forget the horrible album that ever existed. But you know, you know. So, anyway. (laughs) We'll also have more Rusty Metal and another online pick of the week. I'm Chris K, and on behalf of Kenneth Dean, remember, always turn it up to 11. See ya.